Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Alistair Schroff and Valerie Ingram. Valerie is a certified teacher and president of the Lakes Animal Friendship Society. She has 19 years of experience teaching all grade levels, but spent much of her career teaching kindergarten. A lifelong love of animals and a commitment to teaching care, compassion, and respect made humane education a logical career move, even at no pay. Valerie volunteers in classrooms around the community in Northwest British Columbia. She mentors others who volunteer in communities across the region. Alistair is Valerie's husband, a forester and volunteer with LAFS. While he has difficulty keeping up with Valerie's passion and enthusiasm, he brings some business experience and helps with community cat house building, bookkeeping, proposal writing, and whatever else needs doing. Valerie and Alistair have written two children's books together. Their first book, Nobody's Cats, is based on the true story of a community cat TNR project and Out of the Cold, which is based on the true story of a community project to build dog and cat houses for animals in need, including community cats. Valerie and Alistair, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. We're excited to be here. So how did you both get started? It's a very, uh, just to give you a little bit of context, you know, we're from a very small town in northern British Columbia. Our total community size is about 7,000 people. And it's a very, uh, it's a rural area with a lot of farming, a lot of, uh, a lot of animals being used in a practical sense. And as we grew up and spent time in the community, uh, we noticed that there was a lot of uh, issues of animal overpopulation and um, suffering and neglect uh, for a variety of reasons. And we got to where we decided that we wanted to be the someone to take action. People were always saying, oh, there's uh, an issue with dogs or cats over here. Somebody should do something. Well, we we couldn't uh, stand on the sidelines. And that's how we uh, kicked off the Lakes Animal Friendship Society. Humane education took high priority in the very beginning, and I incorporated it into every subject. It easily fits into every curriculum area, and children's innate love for animals, it just seemed natural. And I I made sure that my classroom was a community of conscientious choice makers, and I was hoping for future change makers. Uh, I had the honor of being a substitute teacher in kindergarten many, many years ago, and I will never forget that period of time because it was thoroughly exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) so so anyone who says that they had a a long career teaching kindergarten I I give them high marks (laughs) it's a special crew that's for sure so did you start the Lakes Animal Friendship Society we did we started Lakes Animal Friendship Society about eight years ago when we started to see all these problems and actually that was when I took a career shift 
And I actually um, quit teaching and started to do it as a on a volunteer basis going into the schools. So in our community, there's about 700 children, kindergarten to grade 12. And I would visit those children with my little sidekick, Dusty, my dog, and I teach care, compassion, bite safety, what is it to be a responsible pet guardian, and uh, started to bring awareness and education into the schools. And I'm thrilled to be able to say that this is the first time we've had two guests on the show at the same time, as well as also profiling a book. And for the Community Cats podcast listeners out there, I would be very interested to hear from you to see if a book club series on Community Cats would be of interest to folks out there. The first book that you worked on was Nobody's Cats. It's a fantastic book. We have some graphics. We'll make sure we get those up into the show notes. It's I have a copy here, and it's just, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic story. But um, Alistair and or Valerie, can you tell me a little bit about how you got this idea and how you started working on this project? Well, in referring, we, we, I guess we'll talk about the uh, the story behind the story which is, uh, as Valerie said, education was our initial project and still we consider education to be our absolute number one priority. As Valerie likes to say about Maya Angelou has a quote saying that uh, I knew then what I knew how to do, but now that I know better, I do better. But the part that's missing from that quote is we also need to have access to practical tools and resources to take that knowledge and apply it in the real world. And so in terms of the education, Valerie has done a tremendous job, but we knew there's other elements to helping reduce the suffering um, that we saw in the community. As we said, it's a very rural area. It's uh, We have some challenges for, from a socioeconomic perspective. There's lots of poverty. There's lots of barriers to doing better. And so we focused on a, a number of different areas, including dog and cat houses, like physical houses for uh, dogs and, and cats who are out in the cold, just like community cats often are. And we also, in terms of overpopulation and animal health, spay-neuter and animal health services were kind of lacking, even though we are very fortunate to have a veterinary clinic. To give some context geographically, the area that we kind of work with and, and work with local groups is about the size of Washington State. And in that area, there's only about 50,000 people. And serving those 50,000 people spread out over hundreds of miles, there's only 14 veterinarians so, and a handful of animal welfare groups. It's a different kind of world than uh, perhaps you might be familiar with there. But in terms of getting to the community cat issue, you can't do everything all at once, especially for a small society. So we started with dog and cat houses. Uh, using incorporating local community, local students, high school students, building houses, elementary children, uh, decorating them. So we've always had this strong belief that the community needs to be part of the solution. And that carried right into our spaying and neutering projects. Uh, we worked with a group called the Canadian Animal Assistance Team to bring large-scale spay-neuter to the Burns Lake area in starting in 2011. And then they helped us do hundreds of animals in a very short amount of time. But bear in mind, these were animals that had guard active guardians. These are your friendly, cuddly pets. Um, and that was the focus. The needs were so great. That's where we started. So we were able to achieve great uh, milestones in spay and neuter in our area over a three-year period with that particular group. But we were only just 
peripherally dealing with community cats. It was always there as an issue that we know needed dealing with. It wasn't until 2013 that we finally got all the pieces together. As we say, we always need a community solution. So we had community members helping us identify where the problems were. But with hundred, literally hundreds of cats, it was uh, too big a project for us to take on individually. We just did not have the financial resources. So thankfully, uh, PetSmart Charities started a, a program for community cats in partnership with our provincial BCSBCA. And they had been aware of us uh, from other um, projects we were involved with and encouraged us to apply and gave us a significant grant for um, this project. So with those external resources, we're able to team up with local volunteers. We have a small cat shelter that was started by our wonderful local veterinarian, Dr. Lois Martin. So we had uh, access to a cat shelter for adoptables, foster system, a veterinary clinic that could work with us on the spay-neuter aspects. We had community volunteers. Finally, we had enough external resources through this grant to take on the community cats. And so we had quite a vigorous program over a two-year period. It was different than the blitzes we had done with Canadian Animal Assistance Team. Community cat work, as you know, is very patient. It takes a lot of uh, a lot of time to do it right. Um, but we were able to do a tremendous job with these colonies. And all during this process, there was lots of awareness of Valerie's doing in the school, sharing about community cats. Uh, at every point, education was key. And when we did any of these spay-neuter blitzes with Canadian Animal Assistance Team, even at the vet clinic, we were working with um, bringing children and families in to sort of witness, see, be part of. We brought pictures of the community cats into the schools. The children were naming the cats. It was a, an education process from the very beginning and, and involving the families and the children so that they were they were part of the process and part of the solution. So when we got towards the wrap up of this this project that the community had been involved with, something that we've always been conscious of that Valerie has in the schools is what sort of resources are available, uh, educational materials, shall we say, that um, that are accessible and that are appropriate to rural northern areas like ours, where there's a high proportion of First Nations or, or what you would call Native Americans. And the reality is, is their their community cat books are not in abundance, but even fewer still is is uh, ones that that would really resonate with our children. We want to we always want to have resources that our children can see themselves in. So that's what kind of led us to say, well, why don't we make our own book? That's how nobody's cats came to be, and and we wanted to involve the kids in that process. And bringing it into the schools again, the children actually helped write the story, including the ending was decided by them as well. And uh, we're part of the process from the very beginning, from uh, even involving them with the title of the book to the very ending of the, the book as well. And then the artwork, of course, we work with every child to have them sort of express themselves and their feelings and what they learned from our visits to the classroom. So there was quite a few entries, I'd say probably a few hundred entries from the children of community cats and what they envisioned, what a community cat colony looked like if they couldn't actually go out and see one of these colonies. Often these colonies are in rural, quite distant areas to go to. And so the children were doing incredible pictures, incredible stories, and, and we incorporated as much as we could into the story. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. We were lucky enough to have a presentation at 
a Boston homeless cats meeting on uh, Monday night uh, in early September. And Heidi Colonna from HSUS was there doing a presentation on community cat education. And she actually read quite a bit of this book at the presentation. And the video is available on the Community Cats podcast Facebook page. It's still there. So you can certainly look that up. The listeners can look that up and hear her reading segments of the book, which was just very fascinating. We took a lot of the information shared that night to talk about how we could do the interplay with it in helping Boston schools, which was very exciting. And then, Alistair, you mentioned the building of community cat houses, and I also did that with a local school in Amesbury, Massachusetts, where the high school shop class built feeding stations, and then they brought them down to the elementary school, and the elementary school kids painted the feeding stations. And it was a great combination. And then we culminated with a visit to the local shelter that I was involved with at the time. I find the building of the feeding stations is a lot of fun because it's a multi-age project. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the kind of project that you want something that everybody can get involved with and be part of so that everybody feels part of the solution. And in, in your case, with the feeding stations, you have specific areas for feeding community cats. For our situation where we have, uh, say, a family that needs a shelter for their animals, we took things to the point where also we would, the, we would make flat packs, sort of like IKEA furniture of the dog houses that only require a screwdriver to assemble so that even if somebody doesn't have the, the financial resources or transportation resources to get materials or get a dog house in for their or a cat house in for their animal, they can get one of these flat packs uh, through our organization. They can help build it themselves so they feel like they're part of the process, they feel value. And, and ultimately, one of the changes in attitudes that we've really worked on is, is, is seeing the value in animals. Animals aren't disposable. And that has been a real shift in attitudes in our, in our community. It's, it's so exciting. You are all doing so many different things. It's very fascinating. I mean, you walked in to say, oh, we're going to talk about this book, but you are doing so, so much more all around with regards to helping community cats. And it's really quite amazing. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Ready to make a big difference for cats in your community? We've got an exciting opportunity that can jumpstart your efforts. The Community Cats Podcast has launched Community Cats Grants. When you qualify for this innovative program, you'll gain valuable knowledge about how to raise funds for your spay-neuter efforts. Plus, we'll match the funds you raise up to $1,000, doubling your ability to make a difference for cats. Fundraising doesn't have to be scary. We'll be with you every step of the way. Check it out. You can find all of the details on the Community Cats podcast website under our education menu. Let's join forces to make the world a better place for community cats. When you first started, did you have any mentors? I, I, I understand from Valerie's bio, she now mentors other groups, but did you have any mentors when you first started? Well, we were really fortunate in the very beginning to connect with Gina Thau, and we, she's the founder of the Montana Spay Neuter Task Force. And we found out about her through an amazing magazine. It's called The Latham Letter. It promotes respect for all life through education. I just loved it. And that's where we first read about Jean. And she had an article called A Lesson in Changing Attitude. And that was what initially inspired and motivated both Alistair and I. And she taught us how an entire community needs to be involved and educated and programs have to respect the traditions 
and the uniqueness of a community. She actually said, we're seeking a change in attitude that will thus bring a change in behavior through respecting animals and then other living creatures, including members of the family, school and community. So we just loved what she had to say. And that is what spurred us on. And, and she, one of her best quotes that we used all the time around here is, you have to turn off the tap instead of mopping up the mess. And that was the initial get on top of that problem of the spaying and the neutering, the problem of overpopulation, and then education, of course, being the key component. That's a great quote. I love it. I'm writing it down as, <laughs> as we speak here. And then, Valerie, looking forward, you now mentor other groups. How do you help them? We actually have a bed and breakfast at our home. And so we invite people to come and stay. We sort of see it as a way to alleviate compassion fatigue. And also we encourage people to come and see our community, see some of our spay neuter community animal care events. We encourage people to come and, and witness this change in behavior, change in attitude. And then for those folks that are so busy in their communities, these incredible volunteers that are sort of all burning out in their own little communities, feeling so alone, we work to go into their communities. I find these volunteers and I work with them. I take them into their classrooms and show them and give them the tools, the books, the resources that they need to talk to the children, to start empowering the children, teaching them about care, compassion and responsibilities of, of um, being a pet guardian. Um, I, I understand, Alistair, you help a bit with proposal writing. So if you were going to seek funding for a project like writing a book like this or, or a community education program, maybe, Valerie, you can draw upon your experiences too, what would the metrics be? So much in our grant writing with regards to community cats, especially around the targeted realm, it's all focused on data and metrics and measurements about intakes into shelters. How would you use metrics for community cat education program? On the education side, that is a, a constant struggle. And Valerie and I are part of the Association of Professional Humane Educators, which is a fantastic uh, resource and sharing group. And groups like Red Rover Readers, who use nobody cats as well. That is a struggle and I won't speak to that part of it. I'll let Valerie talk about some classroom observations, but uh, certainly on community cats, we can see it's totally, as, as you say, uh, we look at sheltering costs. We look at those dimensions because, you know, the education, spay, neuter, better care, all this stuff sort of ripples through to what people are seeing in terms of uh, intakes um, at, at the local shelters. In our case, we're fortunate. We it's very rare to have a cat shelter in such a small town. We just happened to have a veterinarian who, uh, some local folks who just loved loved cats and and couldn't stand to see the suffering and started their own shelter, basically self funded and then with the community supporting through fundraisers like garage sales and stuff. But so uh, Dr. Martin shared her shelter statistics with us, and we followed those through the community cat project, and we we're able to drop. Uh, intake numbers at that shelter down from they're at about 130 again small community the town is only less than 3,000 people down to from 130 a year down to to less than a quarter of that and so we have been able and that as you well know is a substantial right. savings of of money that was was coming out of the community that can now be applied to more proactive uh, sheltering is kind of the last resort. So now if we can turn those resources to proactive things like education, ongoing spay neuter, low income assistance type stuff, then we can carry that as a sustainable difference. 
And I did notice within the schools a change in, in attitude, a change in behavior over over these years. And now it's it's beautiful. Before I go into the schools and I hear horrific stories, I'd have children share with me these stories of seeing animals starving or freezing to death. Or And now I go back into the schools and I can hear the change. The children smile and tell me about Miss Ingram, Miss Ingram. A nobody's cat showed up on our doorstep, but now this nobody's cat is my cat. And in some of these children, you know, the, the cats that, that do end up on some of these children's doorsteps are feral or semi-feral. And, uh, and the children are so accepting and so sweet and loving about the fact that they can't cuddle these critters and they understand why. And yet they're so intent and excited to feed and, and reach all the needs that this, this critter has. And they know what those needs are very special. So one of my objectives in developing this podcast is to try and bring the world of community cats into the mainstream, into our world as being, this is just what we do. This is how we help the cats in our communities. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, you know, you have your, you're focused on the, the younger group and then we will just grow up and say, this is just, it's just the way it is. We don't question it. We don't think of it as being strange or unique. It's just what we do. And that's, that's, I think, both of our goals here. Yeah, yeah. It's breaking a cycle. So if people are interested in purchasing either Nobody's Cats, Out of the Cold, finding out more about you, finding out more about the Lakes Animal Friendship Society, how would they find you? So to order a copy of Out of the Cold or Nobody's Cats, if they are looking for a Kindle edition, it's available on Amazon. Uh, if the people are looking for a, a hard copy, they can contact us at Valerie at lakesanimalfriendship.ca. And that's also our website is www.lakesanimalfriendship, all one word, .ca. And that's the best uh, the best place to check us out. If people check out our website, they'll see a lot of resources, a lot of uh, tabs, and there's some for teaching resources, dog and cat shelter plans, um, how to make the, the our famous Hoffer House that is featured in uh, Out of the Cold. And so, yeah, that's that's the best way to get a hold of us is uh, to email Valerie directly, and uh, we'll be happy to. And certainly for the animal welfare groups that are out there, uh, we're very committed to helping however we can. And so we do offer uh, offer discounts on our on our books to animal welfare organizations because we know that funds are tight and uh, we want to people have been very kind to us in the development of Lakes Animal Friendship Society. And uh, we want to pay it forward by uh, helping other groups as much as we can. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Ah, I would love to say uh, I'm most excited to see how the children have become empowered in our community to see after eight years of consistently delivering the same message. I think repeating the same messages are, are key messages of care, the messages of compassion. Uh, we do talk about safety as well, bite safety and responsibilities that attitudes and behaviors can be changed. I tell the children all the time in our community that they can become a superhero and uh, they can save lives. They can meet the needs of all our critters. And we've seen firsthand how the unhealthy cycle of pet overpopulation of abuse and neglect be broken. Valerie and Alistair, I'd like to thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I feel like there's so much more we could talk about. And so I'm hoping that you might be interested in being a guest on the show in the future. 
Oh, wow. It would be an honor. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank, Thank you, you Stacy. I want to acknowledge your commitment to uh, getting getting this network of community cat folks all together. That networking is so essential because time and resources are extremely limited always, and none of us can afford to reinvent the wheel, and you're doing a great job of trying to avoid that from happening. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 